Arthur Balper, the team of the brass, and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraph Studio. My guest on this edition of Fangraph Studio, making his weekly Monday appearance. It's his weekly Monday appearance. He's the managing editor of Fangraphs.com, Dave Cameron. Dave Cameron is the guest on this edition of the program. And in what follows, as he does every week, Dave Cameron endeavors here to analyze all baseball. Of particular note, players want to get their money. Players want to get their money. Garrett Cole, fewer than three years service time, and yet uh, a pitcher who finished fourth in Cy Young voting last year would like to get his money. Also, uh, players who received qualifying offers, who are the recipients of qualifying offers, like Howie Kendrick and Dexter Fowler, those sorts of players who received qualifying offers, rejected them, and then signed for contracts less than their qualifying offers would have paid them. These are the sorts of players who also would like to get their money. Dave Cameron addresses these specific issues and also other instances, various and sundry, in which players would like to get money. That comprises the majority of this edition of Fangraphs Audio. Also, though, also I would be remiss not to mention the 15-minute portion of the program during which Dave Cameron simply recites players in their respective ages. Mike Trout's 22, Bryce Harper's 23, Manny Machado's 23, I think Fernandez is 23 or 24, maybe 22. That bundle of amusements to follow. After, after the sponsor's message, the sponsor, you know this. You know this if you've ever listened once within the last six months. You are aware that the sponsor is Draft and the Draft app. Draft is a fantasy sports game, not unlike FanDuel, not unlike DraftKings. With a notable distinction, with a notable distinction, it is the first such daily fantasy sports game designed exclusively for mobile devices. Here's how you play. You download the program. Do you have an iOS operating system? You download it from the App Store. Do you have an Android operating system? You download it from Google Play or something not unlike and closely resembling Google Play. You register. You can then challenge anyone in that draft universe to a game that night, be it a friend of yours or an internet stranger. You pick which sport you'd like to play. You conduct a snake draft. Each select five players. Those players accrue fantasy points. And voila, whichever you or your opponent have collected the most fantasy points in the evening, that is the winner. You or he, she, or it, are the winner. Are you the sort of person who's afflicted by the mundanity of everyday life? You can wager real American currency, if you so choose, and if it's legal in your state, I should add, if it's legal in your state. And most importantly, in ways that are obscure to me, but are entirely clear to CEO and founder David Appleman, downloading the Draft app will benefit Fangraphs Audio and Fangraphs in general, I suppose. So if you detest neither of those entities, then please consider downloading draft and please consider now uh, listening to a conversation with dave cameron what is it it's fangraphs audio who is the feature managing editor of fangraphs dave cameron and what does it begin right now Um, what, I, what I would like to begin is with um, people who uh, feel they are not compensated correctly for the hard work that they do and the performance. Are you, are you one of these people? <laughs> I, uh, no, I actually, I'm surprised that I make money at all. Yeah. Is I, this going to be like uh, Dave Cameron analyzes Carson's uh, income? Let's not look at it too closely, actually. <laughs> let's not look at that, uh, especially as it relates to performance. Yeah. However, recently, what, this weekend? Is it this weekend? 
Yeah, this past weekend. This past weekend, Pirates, very good Pirates right-hander, Garrett Cole. Good I think and, you could even call him an ace. Yeah, good young ace, talented young ace, Garrett Cole, uh, voiced some concerns, some, um, some discontent with his, uh, with his salary because, uh, well, I guess, I mean, the, the bottom line is the Pirates, uh, can, can give him as much money as they want to, provided it's above the major league minimum. Or as little money as they want to. Yeah. Right, exactly, yeah. And, uh, they seem to, to take advantage of that, which is not, I, I'm guessing, and I think I know to, in part that this is not unique to Pittsburgh. Definitely not. Uh, however, however, teams do have some leeway, I guess, right? So at the bottom line, a player with what uh, fewer than three years of experience, or two and you know, like non-super two guys, but yeah, zero to three is kind of how, how they're referred to in baseball. Zero to three service time guys, right? And uh, they um, they essentially, well, I, I'm interested first of all in this phrasing. They have to accept whatever the team offers them as provided it's above or at league minimum. Yeah, they have no power whatsoever. Like, the team can say, we want to offer you this, and if you don't sign it, we will just sign it for you. Right, so so there is the, the, now he he has to sign it, or is signed, essentially. That doesn't yeah, mean he has he to he doesn't have to sign it. He can just say, I refuse this accept, uh, I refuse this offer, but then what happens is the team just unilaterally renews his contract, and mm-hmm. they decide what it's going to be for. So he can, like... Uh, um, kind of take a moral stance and be like, I won't sign this, but it won't affect the outcome. He's going to make whatever they say he's going to make. Now, is there any situation? Uh, because obviously, what the, the um, uh, free agency as we know it, or mostly as we know it, began in the, the late 70s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 76. 76. Right. That right. Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. And uh, I'm, I'm feeling embarrassed that I don't remember the precise names, but two pitchers who were. Oh, God, this is embarrassing. <laughs> I'm actually not gonna. I'm not gonna save you because I kind of enjoy you uh, uh, complaining about your wage and then not knowing. I know it's embarrassing, but it, I just don't need it all the time. I don't need this information. <laughs> it's not Kurt Flood, although he was. Uh, he himself was equally uh, upset. It, it, he was instrumental. Yeah. It was essentially two players who. It was two pitchers who played an entire season uh, without. I guess without a contract, and therefore yeah. they uh, they they sort of launched themselves into free agency by the end of it. Right. They basically said this is uh, this reserve clause is untenable and con- con- constitutionally uh, illegal. And, Andy uh, Messer Smith, Dave McNally. There you go. Good yeah. job. And uh, what what clubs have they been playing for at the time? Mm. Now that's a good question. I don't actually even know that. All right. Well, that's fine. So they played what they played. Uh, it was the after the 1975 season, I guess it happened, and. Uh, yeah, and so what? They played the whole season without a contract. I guess what? Not being remunerated in any. Remunerated. Remunerated. Numerated. Remunerated. R e n. No, rem- no, no. Remunerated because mu- it's comes that's not from a Latin- word. Yes, it is. It comes from the Latin word for money. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. Okay. Well, we're gonna have like an editing war right here well, on the podcast. We could also have just. You can just look it up in the dictionary, Dave. Okay, well, I could do that, but yeah. I don't want to. I want to hold fast. Okay. I, I want to stand my ground. Re- remunerate would just mean to count again, I believe. Yeah. Um, I've never heard remunerate. That's yeah, remunerate. Word. That's the word. Yeah, that's the word. That means pay. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Well, this is off to a roaring start. <laughs> so, compensated, okay? <laughs> right, good. Um so that, and and that's a but obviously in terms of uh, players 
protesting the degree to which they'll be compensated. That's a famous example, the Messerschmitt-McNally example. Yeah. Has a player in the zero to three category ever? I mean, I'm sure that some of them have bristled at, yeah. at the contracts they've been offered. Has any have any of them ever stopped playing? So far as you know. No, I I believe that the collective bargaining agreement basically gives them no uh, incentive to hold out. Like obviously in the NFL, when players are unhappy with their contracts, they just don't report to camp and they say, "Look, I'm not not going to play until you give me a raise," and then they kind of uh, you know uh, renegotiate from there. In a, in Major League Baseball, there's no vehicle for them to um, kind of increase their salary. So if Garrett Cole decided like I'm not going to play for five hundred and forty thousand dollars or five thirty eight, I think is what they uh, had offered him. Um, he could sit out and not play, and they'd be like, okay, well, you're not accruing any service time, so you're effectively retiring yourself. And if you ever want to come back and play, we're going to pay you this five hundred thirty-eight thousand dollars, uh, five forty-one. I think they eventually bumped him up to. Um, but there was no vehicle for him to negotiate contracts and uh, get more money. Now he just doesn't have any leverage, and uh, teams are. Um, not going to give in to that. So if, if Garrett Cole or one of these players held out, uh, the owners uh, would essentially just band together, and I'm sure the commissioner's office would essentially issue an edict and be like, hey, look, you don't pay him anymore. Really? So so how, essentially, so there has to be some, I mean, you say there's no vehicle for it, um, but on, a, on another level, the Pirates would decide that it's less important for Garrett Cole to play for them uh, than to maintain the system as it currently stands. Yes, they they would essentially take one for the team and say, look, we will not renegotiate, you know, guaranteed contracts. Like this is the system that your union negotiated for. If you wanted a different system, you could have argued for it five years ago when we signed a CBA. If you want a new one, you can argue for that this coming CBA. But this is the system we agreed to, and we're not going to change the rules of the system. Right. And you think even if Bryce Harper. Uh, decided that he was not going to be compensated sufficiently this next year, and he said, "I'm sitting out until it happens. Otherwise, I'll just retire." Yeah. You think that? You think that even then, um, the Nationals wouldn't buckle, for example? Yeah, I think so. Because in baseball, there are guaranteed contracts. So in the NFL, you can essentially make the argument for holding out because of non-guaranteed contracts. So like a player says, "Hey, look, you know, I signed a five-year deal, but if I blow up my knee, you're just going to cut me anyway." So it's not really a five-year contract. It's not really a contract at all. It's, I mean, it's a it's a contract until you don't want to fulfill it anymore, and now <laughs> I don't want to fulfill it. So both sides are like, "Ah, these contracts are kind of worthless," which is why they have holdouts and cuts in baseball. Right. You don't have either of these things. If Bryce Harper blows out his knee, the Nationals owe him money. So therefore, if Bryce Harper feels he's underpaid when he's healthy. He doesn't have the right to hold out and demand more money uh, because his contract is guaranteed. Right. Of course, in the, pro- the problem in the NFL is right. there's a lot of media attention for – there's much more media attention, it would seem, for holdouts than it is for cuts. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's one of the problems notable in the NFL. Cuts, yeah. I, mean, I think we could list a lot of other ones. But, <laughs> but if you're holding out, there's a sort of whole um, moral component that goes alongside of it, right, like in terms of your qualities as a teammate. Yeah, I mean, it no, I don't think there's any question that uh, frequently a player who holds out is portrayed as greedy mm-hmm. and like, uh, you know, this guy's, you know, should be happy with his lot in life. He's making way more money than the average Joe. He's hurting the team. You know, just suck it up and you know, live up to your contract. <laughs> and then there's like, you know, the the guy blows out his knee and the team cuts him and they're like, good move, smart way to save salary cap room. <laughs> okay, so so this happened in the. Um... Right, and the the pirates do not seem to be particularly sympathetic to Gary Coles. Although, no, wait, uh, I think Huntington did make a point. He says uh, he strikes a note that most people can emphasize with. I'm sure there are many people in this world who don't feel they're adequately compensated, um, which is true, probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it but it does so happen is that 
uh, Neil Huntington is to some degree Garrett Cole's boss, and he would be uh, he would seem to be one of the people who has some say in how much Garrett Cole uh, earns. Yeah, and I think he actually did adjust uh, his salary. So they, essentially, the 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 argument from Cole's perspective is that he had a very good year. He earned the ten thousand dollar bonus on top of his five hundred thirty one thousand dollar salary for last year by making the All Star team. So his net pay or gross pay last year was five hundred forty one thousand dollars. They offered him five thirty eight. So he looked at it and said, "You just offered me a pay cut after one of the best seasons of my career. That's." annoying and like i think if they had offered him like five hundred and forty one thousand and a penny he would have just been like well the system sucks but whatever right uh but the fact that they gave him a lower base than what he made last year is what drew his attention to this and why he said something so then they said okay you know what you actually have a pretty good point we don't want to pay you less than you did last year we don't know for a fact that you're going to make the all-star team again uh which is you know he could make more money if he does but it's, it's a bonus and not guaranteed so they bumped him back up to the 541 so he's not going to take a pay cut now but you know they're um, niceties of saying like, yeah, we really think Garrett Cole made a good point. We're going to give him an extra three thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollars. Not a lot of money, right? It's not. Uh, so, what are what are generally the team policies regarding the zero to three types of players in terms of how they they are compensated? Because I think the policies, even though no, no such player is going to ever receive millions of dollars, there, there is some uh, diversity in terms of the policies, right? Yeah, so some teams basically just uh, wing it and say, okay, yeah, we'll just kind of uh, offer you uh, contracts based on whatever we think is fair. And um, and other teams, uh, most notably kind of the analytically oriented teams, have algorithms that essentially calculate this for you and say, you know, based on your number of at-bats or games played or whatever, uh, we're going to give you X amount above the minimum based on your years of service and like so if you get more in your second year than your first year and they just have a formula that spits out a number and they're beholden to that formula the pirates are one of these teams they have a formula that says you know based on how much you played last year uh we're gonna pay you x and so garrett cole's numbers spit out a seven thousand dollar raise which is the largest that they support for a pre-arbitration uh player so it's not that they said well we don't actually think you were that good last year their system agrees that he was very good but they have capped the number at a very small raise, much smaller than uh, some other franchises. And so it varies from club to club on how large their raises are and how kind of how the calculations work. And some teams don't have calculations at all. They just kind of like, well, we'll pay you 525 this year, 550 or whatever. What are, uh, what are, what are some of the highest you've seen or heard of? Uh, well, the, the record for a pre-arbitration player is Mike Trout got a million dollars, uh, and no one had gotten a million before that. And, uh, you know, Mike Trout's, I think, Pretty clearly an exception. <laughs> like no one's gonna benchmark off Mike Trout and be like, "Well, Trout got a million, so I deserve eight hundred thousand dollars, right?" Like, or they just, could be like, "Trout got a million, so I deserve zero. It's true. They could. <laughs> I don't think they would make that argument, no, but they no. could if they wanted to. Um, but I, I think most teams end up in this like five hundred to five fifty range. It's not uncommon at all. It's not like the Pirates are you know half of what everyone else is paying. Uh, I do think there are a couple teams. Scott Boris in his comments, I think, specifically cited the the Marlins, uh, which is a little surprising because the Marlins are notoriously cheap. Uh, but the Marlins, I think, have a slightly higher pay scale where they might even push over six, uh, six hundred thousand for some pre-arbitration players. But it's generally in that, you know, five twenty-five to five fifty range. Uh, and some guys will push up towards like five seventy-five if they have really good years and they make some bonuses or something. But it's it's not that there's this huge spread and the Pirates aren't anywhere close to it. Right, and it sounds like I mean obviously 
um, that you know the fifty thousand dollars between five twenty five and five seventy five. That's not that's not nothing. It's not it's not, it's not a life changing amount of money. Right, but it's also it's also it seems to be that there's it's more of a symbolic gesture on the part of the team than it is actually right as you say life changing money. Yeah, I mean, I think Cole's argument was not so much what his salary was; it's that the pay, it was the pay cut. So I think that from his perspective, he doesn't care about the three thousand dollars. He cares about the fact that it's offensive to cut his salary after what he made last year. They didn't actually cut his salary, but his total earnings. Um, and I think that's kind of where you can make an argument that just for PR reasons, the Pirates would have been better off just giving him the extra four thousand dollars up front or five thousand dollars or whatever they wanted to do, so that he didn't actually look at it as a pay cut. All right now, uh, conveniently. Uh, earlier today, you, you, you wrote about this uh, this issue um, for noon, or roughly noon uh, today, Monday. Uh, conveniently, earlier in the day, uh, had been published at the Harbaugh Times uh, your post from from that uh, that publication's annual uh, regarding uh, well, I guess in, in large part regarding the CBA. I mean broadly, yeah. uh, but specifically, there's a question I think of. Um, of course, wages and also the distribution of wages by age group. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the interesting things uh, in baseball right now is like we've noted, I think on this podcast a couple times recently, that the game is getting significantly younger. Uh, so old players are less productive than they've ever been, or at least in a long time, in 20 years. Uh, and young players are taking over baseball in a very large way. I mean, if you talk about the best players in baseball right now, Mike Trout's 22, Bryce Harper's 23, uh, Manny Machado's 23, I think Jose Fernandez is 23 or 24, maybe 22. I don't know. They're all young. Uh, these guys can't rent cars. <laughs> and so they're the best players in baseball right now are uh, in that kind of window where they're not making anywhere close to their market value. And so you have this interesting dynamic where teams are incentivized to pay young players more money because this is where the production is coming from and shift away from older players because older players are uh, just not playing that well anymore. Uh, but the wage scale that's set up by the union is intended to give more money to older players and not to younger players. So we have conflicting interests and conflicting incentives, and it's uh, going to be something that the Players Association has to decide if this is what they want to uh, continue to kind of defend, is like if the population of their members membership is getting younger and younger and younger, and the predominant value is being created by players who are uh, systematically underpaid on purpose, is that a continuing is that a good method to continue going forward or should they say you know what maybe we want to argue for a shift in income towards our younger members and away from veterans uh because the, the veterans aren't good enough to demand big free agent salaries anymore anyway so what do you regard what do you view as the the optimal solution for the players and what do you view as the most likely outcome well, optimal solution for the players is like free agency after the first year of their career, right? Like you, you get to the majors, you play a year, and then, hey, let's go test my market value. But teams will never go for that. And I think the question of whether they could move up free agency, which I think is something that might actually get brought up, um, will probably get squashed pretty quickly because there's so many low-revenue franchises who depend on a strategy of drafting and developing and scouting and keeping these kind of low-cost, you know, way-under-market salary players in order to contend. Um, if you move the line for free agency up to, say, after five years or after four years or something, you're going to uh, harm the, the teams that don't have the money to compete in free agency, and you're going to significantly benefit the Yankees and Dodgers and Red Sox and Phillies and these teams that have a lot of money. And that's not something baseball wants to do. Um, so I think the likely outcome is that the Players Association is going to have to figure out 
if we can't change the structure of how quickly team players get to free agency and moving the league minimum salary is a you know a challenging uh suggestion from a competitive balance standpoint how do we get to a point where we're maybe more fairly rewarding uh the players who are producing value for us and you know kind of the larger population of our players now that the game is skewing so much younger and i don't actually know what the answer is like my guess is they're going to end up just pushing for a higher luxury tax threshold and hoping that free agency kind of lifts all tides but i don't know that it's going to work and i don't know that it's the best plan when uh you know players are not reaching free agency now until 29 or 30 and then teams just don't want to sign any players over 30 for significant money because players aren't aging very well can we do like a benjamin button free agency where players start out as free agents and then eventually they have to agree to six years uh, in the first three years, they can, they can, um, you know, they, they have some sort of bargaining power with their teams, but the last three years of their career, they have to accept the league minimum. I'm not saying it's a good plan, but it is. Yeah, a, no, it's a plan. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, it's one I had not yet considered because no, I, I have not been taking drugs. Yeah, right. I was just having to think outside of the proverbial box. Yeah, um, but I think you're outside of like the planet on which boxes are sold. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, here's a question. As you mentioned, at some level, there is a tension between, <clears throat> on the one hand, uh, fairly compensating players, yeah. and in particular because young players are responsible for more production now than they have been in some time. And on the, uh, but but if we do it by, if we do it by uh, reducing the number of years in which teams possess control over players, uh, then that favors large market, you know, teams with, uh, you know, plenty of revenue. Yeah. Uh, if we do it by raising the minimum salary, that also has the same effect, roughly. Yeah. Uh, because this once again hurts teams that have, uh, that have less money to be spending. Is, uh, and so it, if, and so it hurts parity, very probably. Yeah. Is there any, does, does the players union, do the players generally speaking, is there anything uh, about parity that is an advantage to them specifically? Uh, I'm going to think if you have more teams that are competitive, like kind of we have a lot of teams uh, trying to win now, uh, then you have more um, opportunities to kind of choose your destination. Like, you know, maybe 10 years ago, if you were a free agent and you wanted a big contract, you could play for the Yankees and maybe the Red Sox. <laughs> like there were just not that many places to go get your money. And it was basically a given the top players were going to go play for New York. Um, nowadays, if you want to get a significant contract, you have options on where you want to live. Like if you don't like New York and you don't want to live on the East Coast and you're a California guy, there's now teams in California who can afford to give you the same amount of money as the, as the Yankees or at least something close to it. So I do think that it opens up kind of lifestyle options, but in terms of like a financial benefit, it's not clear that parity is good for the player's uh, overall pocketbook because uh i think as the ability to dominate financially is diminished teams end up spending less money okay all right yeah and then right, um, the, yankees, the yankees basically saw like hey we threw a whole bunch of money at older players it didn't work let's stop doing that right and and they've uh they've been one of the quietest teams this offseason yeah they have not signed a single player to a major league free agent contract oh that's probably unusual for them that hasn't happened in like 40 years basically <laughs> since free agency started um a related issue, I think it's related at least, mm, you can of course correct me if I'm wrong, is this one of qualifying offers. This, the, the, the way that qualifying offers or the, sort of the, um, what is it, the, the system overall is, is how to deal with, uh, talented fr- players who are entering free agency, right? 
Is there is there a shorter way to phrase that? Um, not we, really. Free agent compensation or agent compensation for free agents for pending free agents. Yeah, draft pick compensation hurts your market value. Right. So player before though there was what there were type A and type B free agents. Yeah. And players or teams, um, if they signed such a player, were were penalized by having to concede Sur- a, surrender a, the draft pick. Yeah. Surrender the draft pick. Yeah. That was. That uh, system was altered. It, we gave it the, we got the qualifying offer system. Uh, yeah. This year, this uh, this year was the first in which a player accepted a qualifying offer. Three of them did, yeah. Three of them did, yeah. and you remember their names. Go ahead, Dave. Um, so uh, Brett Anderson, yeah, uh, Matt Weeders, yeah, and Colby Rasmus. Okay, very good. Yeah, very good. First, Are those players you've ever heard of? Yeah. I know I know the names of players definitely. I just don't necessarily remember. But doing. you didn't know Andy Messersmith's name. Bad, yeah. Or Dave. I, I mean, I, uh, Dave McMillan's name I know in my head. Anyway, that's not the point here. Let's move on. The the question is, um, or the point is that I think this is also the f- uh, uh, the year in which players have <laughs> like uh, collectively signed contracts. F- more the more more players in previous years have signed contracts for below what the qualifying offer would have would have given them. Uh, yeah, I mean we've seen this before. I think Stephen Drew and Kendris Morales uh, both kind of sat out till mid-season a couple of years ago, so they took significantly less uh, overall money because they only played half the year, uh, and then that didn't work out particularly well for either of them because they played badly in that half of a season. So I don't think anyone was really eager to do that again. So you saw what Howie Kendrick and uh, Right. Dexter Fowler and and some of these guys uh, take uh, one year full term contracts for more money than they would have gotten for playing half the season after draft pick compensation went away, but less money than they turned down five months ago. Right now, I guess I guess first of all, in, any player in this situation, right, um, he finds himself at the point where he's offered qualifying offer, but he's not so overwhelmingly talented or or coveted. That it's you know it's obvious that you know as you point out you give the the example of David David Price if you're paying 240 million dollars for a player the amount that you're surrendering by means of a draft pick was what roughly 10 million in terms of value. I mean it depends on where the pick is, uh, but yeah, 10 to 20 million. Right. So that's the, there's not really a huge comparison there, but if you're a guy who would have made something like 15 million dollars, that extra right. 10 million dollars is pretty substantial. Yeah, I mean, I think probably the biggest issue for the qualifying offer is it really hits guys who are expecting to get multi-year offers and then don't. So if you're looking at it and saying, you know, you're Dexter Fowler, and well, I think the crowd, sort of, the crowd projected him for four years and $60 million, right? So at a $60 million contract, it's not unreasonable to think that a team would just tack on the $10 million tax and say, well, if we think Fowler's 460, then 470 is not that far away. We'll go ahead and pay that tax. But as soon as the team decides, you know what, we don't want to give this guy four years because we don't think he's going to age that well, or we're really only interested in a one or a two year contract with this player, now all of a sudden you're cutting down, even at the same annual average value, say it's a two year deal, now you're looking at two years and 30 million, but the tax is the same. The tax doesn't change. So you're still paying that $10 million tax, but now on something that you value at $30 million. So now your, your total cost is 40 million. The tax represents 25% of the cost you're paying. Uh, and so it's a, a very regressive tax. And, uh, I think this is one of the issues where players who hope to get a long-term deal can believe that a team will essentially amortize the cost of the pick over the multiple years. As soon as the long-term deals don't uh, don't materialize, uh, then they get into a situation where they say, okay, 
well, now I have to take a one- or two-year deal, but the value of that pick is so high on a short-term contract, the teams say, look, I'm just not going to give up one of my best draft picks for, you know, one season of value unless you take, you know, a drastically discounted salary. Right. So what do you think is the sort of the what was the calculus that went wrong from let's say Dexter Fowler's point of view or his camp? What what I mean they have to be looking at the probability of receiving as you say a four-year contract versus a three-year contract, etc. Yeah. Uh in weighing that against the risk of not getting that sort of contract and and how much uh, and you know the likelihood of making at least fifteen million dollars, you know, uh, with another with another club. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that was probably difficult to see to forecast coming into this winter, I certainly didn't see it coming. I don't know anybody who did. Is that teams were just going to basically reject this class of hitters entirely? Uh, besides Jason Hayward, no real hitter got anything close to what we thought they'd get. I guess Justin Upton was in the neighborhood, but he still got a little less. Uh, but all the hitters in this raging class got dramatically less than what you would expect. Um, all the money this winter went to pitching. And no one that I've talked to really knows why. I haven't, I've heard some theories, but I, none of them really ring as like, this is the answer. But teams spent a lot of money on pitching this winter. So if you were a free agent pitcher, you probably did just fine. Ian Kennedy got stuck with a qualifying offer and got $70 million in an opt-out. Uh, you know, you look at the guys who uh, signed recently, like Howie Kendrick and Dexter Fowler, um, Ian Desmond and Giovanni Gallardo, they didn't even combine for $70 million in salary. Ian Kennedy got more than those four put together, which boggles the mind. And uh, I don't know that anyone could have seen or predicted that this uh, kind of free agent class of hitters was just going to be completely snuffed out and said, you know, we don't want you. Right. Yeah, that's – well, I guess – right. I guess so, – so you're saying from Fowler's point of view, his camp's point of view, uh, what they ran into was uh, – I, I don't know if it's necessarily an anomalous. It's either anomalous or it's the start of a new trend, you, you, know, re, re, you know, without knowing necessarily how long that trend will be. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of those things that, like, once teams decided not to spend on the high-end bats in this market, once it was like, okay, Justin Upton's not getting $150 million, Juan Cespedes isn't getting 175 and the price of those guys started to come down, then it put downward pressure on everybody else. So, say, Dexter Fowler's asking for 60 but you can get Alex Gordon for 72 Why would you give Dexter Fowler 60 At that point, that doesn't make any more sense. You should just go bid on Alex Gordon instead, or Juan Cespedes only gets 75 uh, you know, I think all of these guys were hurt by asking for, you know, between 50 and 100 million dollars or expecting that they could land something in that range. And then they found out that, you know, teams that had 50 to 100 million dollars to spend realized that their, the price had, had dropped for those players because there wasn't a huge demand for UNS Espedes necessarily or Ben Zobrist was, uh, you know, uh, teams were holding his age significantly against him. So it, it, when those guys fell into the 50 to 100 million dollar range instead of the 100 to 150 million dollar range or, you know, in Justin Upton's case, I think he was hoping for something closer to 150 million. He got 130. Um, what we see is like the top hitters basically drag down the market. So if you were a team with 50 to $75 million to spend and you went into the offseason thinking like, well, I can get Howie Kendrick or Dexter Fowler, and then you found out 50 to $75 million can actually get you Ben Zobrist or Alex Gordon or Yuan Cespedes, why spend $50 million and give up a draft pick for Howie Kendrick? It doesn't make any sense. So those guys essentially had their prices pushed down by the fact that the top free agent hitters couldn't get what they wanted. Mm, yeah. And so uh, so how is this how is this going to be addressed in the next CBA? Because I assume that there are certain players who are unhappy with it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any question that the uh, kind of flat tax uh, qualifying offer is the same for all players who 
um, you know, the, the cost of the qualifying offer is the same for David Price and Howie Kendrick. That doesn't make any sense. And it's uh, not something that anyone should really support. The idea that like a guy like Kendrick should get to free agency and then have his market crushed uh, because he just happens to be good enough to get a qualifying offer but not quite good enough to justify teams giving up their first-round pick in order to sign him, um, that doesn't make any sense. There's no real reason we should want Howie Kendrick to bear the brunt of this by himself. It should be spread out over all the players. So uh, my guess is they're just going to do away with the qualifying offer system in some way or then it's like start over again. But I think there's a lot of – ways to fix it. One way I suggested last winter is you just don't have draft pick compensation for a one-year deal. So if a guy like Fowler or Kendrick heads out on the market and realizes that he can't get the four-year deal that he wants, he can take a one-year qualifying or he can take a one-year offer from any other team and they don't have to give up the draft pick. That's like a super simple uh, system that would allow them to kind of pivot back and say, okay, it didn't work for me this winter. I'm going to go back and try again next year. Um, I, I think there's other options as well. You could do a multi-year qualifying offer. So if you um, say, you know, if you want a first-round pick, you have to offer someone a four-year deal. If you want a second-round pick, it's a two-year deal. If you want a third-round pick, then you can, you know, make them a one-year qualifying offer or something along those lines. Or I think Jim Callis on, uh, on Twitter threw out another idea that I thought was interesting in terms of tying it to total contract. So instead of saying it's, you know, $16 million for one year, just say any contract, you know, multiply that by three or four or whatever. So any contract north of $54 or $65 million or whatever, that's what gets you a first round pick and any number below that doesn't get you a it doesn't get you any compensation and so um that way if a team said look you know we're not going to give you a four year contract but we'll we're willing to pay you 15 million for one year they're not giving up the draft pick in order to do it and, and do players like that uh i mean i think players are never going to love the idea of a tax on free agency um you know players players are going to want the qualifying offer system to go away the question is whether Major League Baseball would be up for dismantling the system entirely because uh, they're going to argue that, I mean, you know, Major League Baseball has to keep up this facade that the draft is for competitive balance reasons when it's really just to hold down player salaries. Um, and so by saying, okay, well, we're giving teams draft picks for losing free agents, we're kind of helping competitive balance. It doesn't help at all, but the, that's the argument that they'll make. Um, it also allows them to keep the draft in the CBA because the uh, if the players have no um, – tie to the draft through draft pick, uh, um, draft pick compensation, it becomes a little bit more legally murky if they can actually negotiate the draft into the CBA if it doesn't affect them in any other tangible way. Okay. Cameron. Yeah. Thank you. You're getting rid of me because my internet's terrible? No, uh, people will not have known that because I will have expertly edited. Well, they'll know it now. But yes, they will. Uh, do we have any announcements to make? Any announcements? Uh, Zips is available. Zips is available, which means our uh, depth chart projections are now available and our playoff odds are now now available. Okay. Um, but I think, uh, you know, Tony LaRusso and Dave Stewart think they're still stupid. So. Right. And, in fact, uh, that was another piece you wrote this past week, why we hate the Diamondbacks. We don't actually hate the Diamondbacks. No, um, but it was a fun headline. Right. You, that's, you're getting a little bit of that. Uh, you're getting looking for some of those click-throughs, Dave Campbell? You know, I, I think uh, traffic is good for us. And, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, I'm not, we're not going to ever become BuzzFeed or, you know, one of those kinds of sites. But, you know, if I can increase our traffic by 10% by having a, like, slightly uh, more antagonistic headline, I mm-hmm. might consider it. Okay. Uh, people, people already think I'm antagonistic anyway. So I might as well play into the stereotype. Right. All right, dude. Hey, you have... Congratulations, you've fulfilled your obligation. 
Uh, Hooray. And here. congratulations to you for uh, being overcompensated for your efforts. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Yeah, I didn't even have to do much bargaining, really. I don't yeah. understand how it happened. <laughs> maybe it was, uh, it was drug-related, maybe, somehow. Yeah, um, it's possible. David Appleman's part. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, th- yeah, thank you, Dave Cameron. I will say this. I will say that has been main, uh, managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron. I'm Carson Sestouli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio. Thank you.